Welcome to the Pomona Christian Church Podcast. For more information about Pomona Christian Church, please visit us at PomonaChristian.com or find us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Pomona Christian. probably seen the shirts. I see them a lot that say blessed or cups that say blessed. It's even a popular hashtag on different parts of social media that say blessed. And it's usually a mark. Somebody, uh, something good is going on. They're with friends or they're with family or they're having an enjoyable time or they've, you know, have been blessed in some way and they put blessed. And I think that's kind of a way to say thanks for God and appreciate what he has done. It's a good thing to be blessed and feel God's blessing. But Scripture actually says that we can be more blessed. And I don't know how you can be more blessed than blessed, but Jesus does say in Acts 20, uh, they quote Jesus, and this is a quote that he's not said in the Gospels, but they remembered him saying, and it was obviously familiar when it was quoted. And they said, in the end of verse 35 of chapter 20, they quote Jesus where he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, Jesus says a lot of things that don't make sense, that don't sound right. That sounds like one of those theoretical things, like that'd be a great way to live. Boy, if people did this, you know, we have a lot of those things. Boy, if people forgave, if they extended mercy, wouldn't that be great? But it's hard for us to do, or it seems like, you know, that sounds great. Great, but is it really practical? That, that sounds like great advice for someone else. But Jesus says it's more blessed. It is better to give than to receive. He's not saying it's wrong to receive. I mean, I'm sure we all like to receive maybe new things or, or a bonus at work or something like that where we say, I, that's being blessed. But Jesus says it is more blessed to give than to receive. And if you've ever done that, if you've ever made that sacrifice and seen it, it's something you have experienced, but even so sometimes it is still hard to do. See, God knows what life is really about and how life works. And what we're taught in Scripture really is about freeing us from the things we think that work but really don't. The things we think work, and everybody's trying, and they're failing miserably, but we think, hey, it'll work for me, and we'll try it. The other day, I was talking about the lottery. I said, you know, one of the best ways to ruin your life is to win the lottery. I mean, over and over, you can see one of the best ways to ruin your life is to win the lottery, but I'll try it. You know, (laughs) you think, oh, it failed for everybody else, you know, but I would know how to handle it. I'll I'll be the test subject, you know, the, the one that it doesn't ruin my life. We can see things, but it's really hard to really believe them. We can acknowledge them, maybe even believe them in theory, but when it comes to actually putting it into practice, to actually doing it, it can be so hard. And God knows the more we are like Him and the more we fit in with the design of life and the way He has created things to work, the more we will truly live the more we can truly enjoy life, the more we will really be blessed. And when we talk about being godly, often we think about some sort of behavior or people don't do 
the wrong things. But really being godly is being like God in our character, in our attitudes, in, in who we are, that then shows up in our behavior. And it shows up in our actions. And one of the signs that that God is really working in our lives and we're responding to Him is generosity. It is being free from the things that are temporary and truly putting our faith in Him and things that are eternal and seeking to bless others rather than ourselves for a short and temporary time. That's what it means to be godly is to have those attributes. And, And God is a generous God. I don't think anyone would dispute who knows Scripture and knows what God has done would doubt that God is generous. And we can see money can't buy happiness, and we think, well, it's not the money, the things it can buy or what we could have or the security. I wouldn't have to worry about things, and so we can hold on, but we can find that putting our faith in the wrong things, that it can't buy happiness, and we see it over and over. Yeah, I think, for me, it will work. I was fascinated by Pablo Escobar, you know, the drug lord of Colombia, a guy who, who came from the slums, who came from absolutely nothing, to having at one point $70 billion. By today's standards, he had accumulated $70 billion. So much money, he had to put it in barrels in the ground. They had to hide it in different places. Couldn't even spend it. Could never begin to spend all that money. And had so much, he had to find ways to hide it and what to do with all this money. At one point, he was making $50 million a day. That's just unfathomable. I mean, just think, if if you needed $60 million, it's like, man, I'm going to have to wait two days to be able to get that. Like, I don't like to wait. You know, if I save up my money all week, I'll have $350 million. Then I can get that house that I really want. You know, just got to save for the whole week. I mean, that was a ton of money. But if you've seen his life and you know anything about it, you know, there probably wasn't much peace. There really wasn't time to relax and enjoy. That didn't buy him probably what he was seeking as he tried to have influence in other ways. I'm sure it was a very empty life, even though he came from nothing to having what people today would say is having everything. And he ended up dead on a roof. Ecclesiastes 5 shares this truth with us. Whoever loves money never has money enough Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This, too, is meaningless. And he's talking about the things that people pursue, trying to find satisfaction and meaning, and how that is nothing. That if we love money, we'll never have enough, because there will always be that next thing. There will always be more, that we will use everything we have, and then that won't be enough, and we'll need more. We'll never be satisfied with what we have. And that's what he said. And that's the thing. These people like Pablo or other people even in legitimate fields of life can be greedy and they never quit. Like, why don't you quit while you're ahead? Why don't you say that's enough and get out that nobody does? Even in corporate places where people would have enough to relax and enjoy life rather than go through the stress and the strain of what they do, it's never enough. And just the pursuit of those things that we think will buy happiness keep us from actually finding happiness. So over and over, it doesn't work. And that's what God wants for us. He wants us to be free. That's what God really wants for us, to truly have life. 
Now, he's given us money. He's given us blessings in life to use, but doesn't want us to be entrapped by them. But that's the greatest danger that they pose for us. He wants us free from self, from greed, from materialism, from selfishness. And the sign that we are free from that is generosity, is how we use what God has entrusted to us for others to benefit the kingdom, to lead others to know Him, to make an eternal impact. And that's the big thing. We can use our money to impact people for eternity or for ourselves often for temporary. And God gives us that choice of what to do. But Jesus says we're more blessed to give than just to receive. And if you could picture one of the most Try to picture somebody you know who's very generous that you've known in your life or in your family that is just a generous person. And I'm sure something can come to mind, a person that's just, you know, there are those people that are just giving, they're sacrificial, they don't hold on. And I will guarantee you if we put everybody in this room and we could put their names together, that those people that are free with what they own and what they have, none of them are miserable. I'll guarantee you. I know people with a lot of things and a lot of stuff who they have it, but they are miserable. And that's just one aspect of the life that they're living, and the focus of their life is that it's on self. But there are people that are free with what they have, and I don't know anybody, a generous person, who is miserable. They're usually gracious, forgiving, it carries over into other areas of life. But how do we become generous people? You know, there are some people that just naturally are. There are some that that struggle. It's hard. We have different personalities. But I think generosity, that giving rather than receiving, it really is based on understanding what God has done for you. For the believer, that's where generosity begins, is understanding who God is and what He has done for you and what He has done for me. That is the foundation. I think for a believer to not be generous shows that we don't understand or we have forgotten what God has done and who God is. So generosity begins with that. Like our God is generous. If you know anything about our God, He is sacrificial. Our God would do anything to bring us back into a relationship with Him. You know, years ago, I remember... Um, reading this article that a lot of billionaires got together and they pledged to give half of their income uh, to charity. And at the time, Bill Gates was, uh, I think, the world's second richest man, and he gave $50 million and dropped out of that category And because he dropped down to $87 billion from where he was before. And so I think when... If you saw that or if you remember that, you kind of think, maybe you're like me and kind of think, well, you have so much that you can't spend left that you gave a bunch away, but that was still generous gesture. I had to look it up years later. Now he's got $104 billion. The wealth has come back and still more than he can spend. So for most of us, we, we expect somebody with that much to be generous and aren't really impressed if they are, because we might think, well, that's more than they could possibly spend. And it really, maybe it doesn't seem like a sacrifice if they couldn't even spend it so that they get rid of it. But even with what they possess is nothing compared to God. 
because God owns it all. It says in Psalm 50, for the world is mine and all that is in it, that God created us, that he gave us life, that he gave us this place to live, that everything ultimately is God and what we have has been entrusted to us to use for the time that we have it. And scripture says we will give an account for what we do with it. Now in Christ, we understand who God is and his sacrifice. So we should be even more generous because God gave everything. Everything we have has been given to us by God because he is generous. He's even generous to the skeptic who doesn't believe in him. He's generous to the person who's believed in him for over 20 years. He's generous to those who are searching. He's entrusted everything you enjoy, everything you have to you for this life. But here's the thing we have in common with Elon Musk and Bill Gates When we die, we all go out the same way. We leave with what we came in with, and that is nothing. Scripture says we came in with nothing, and we leave with nothing. And all we leave with is the impact that we make. And we know the only way we can make an impact that goes beyond our lives, that goes into eternity, is through Jesus Christ. And we can know that God is a generous God just from the world that He's given us says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. See, there are these invisible qualities about God, things we can know. If we didn't have Scripture, there are things we could know about God just from creation that we could know He's powerful, that we could know God is creative, we could know that He's loving, we could know that He's generous, that He provides things for our enjoyment. I mean, just think about it. You know, God could have made this plant, you know, we live on an amazing planet, but if God didn't love us, if He didn't provide things for our enjoyment, He could have made one big block of land that looks like Kansas in the winter. And that's where we experienced our whole lives. And we had one type of food to eat. But God is generous. He, he gives us so much. The relationships we have with, with our children so that we can understand the love He has for us and experience that, the different types of food. I mean, I love food. You know, the Israelites in the wilderness got one type of food. That wasn't enough. They complained. Then they got another type of food, and then they still complained. It wasn't enough, but God gives us so much. He gives us so much in relationships that we can overlook all the blessings and the generosity that God gives us. Because one of the things in our our sinful nature, our selfish nature that we have, is the default mode of our hearts often is to see what we don't have, is to forget what God has given us because somebody else has something better than we do. And so we pursue that and we can miss out on gratitude. Even in tough times, even when we have little, we can be grateful. You know, Corey Tenboom uh, was, a, was a person that was in the, the prison camps, the concentration camps in World War II, and she was there with her sister. And her sister Betsy uh, told her one day things were just tough. They were squeezed in a bed. They could hardly sit up. Everything smelled so badly. And then they started noticing the fleas that just constantly bit them, and they were miserable. And then Betsy said to Corey, she said, you know, Scripture 
said to be thankful in all circumstances, that we should be thankful that we do have a roof over our heads. We can be thankful for the bed. We can be thankful that we're together, that we're not separated. We can be thankful that we have the Bible. And she went on some things and she goes, we should even thank God for the fleas. And Corey says, that's ridiculous. I'm not thanking God for the fleas. Well, eventually, Betsy got a little ill, and she couldn't go out and do the work, but she could knit socks, so she was knitting socks for the prisoners, and she was so fast at it that she could finish by noon, and at noon, then she'd have time, because the guards didn't watch the barracks very closely, she could go read the Bible and pray with people in the barracks that gave her time to do that. And she said, we should be thankful for that. Well, one day... She tried to get one of the guards to come check a debate they were having about the size of the socks that some of the prisoners who were making them, what size they were supposed to be. The guard would not come and check them out. And she asked the guard why, and she goes, we don't go into the barracks because of the fleas. And she realized she really could be thankful for the fleas because that's why she could minister and that's why they could have their Bible. That's why they could get away with praying was because of the fleas. And she found out that you can even be thankful for the fleas. See, the mode of our heart is to see what we don't have, to see what's wrong rather than appreciate what we have. The default nature of our heart is to live with a closed fist and to hold on to what we have for the future or for other times rather than to let it go for someone else. See, when we understand what God has done, it should produce gratitude to being thankful, even when we have little, even in tough times, and that is the springboard to a generous heart. So when we understand God's generosity towards us, then it should work on making us generous in our lives as we become like Him. I want to look at two aspects of the generosity of God. One, He sends His Son. The most obvious aspect of God's generosity, it says in John 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So I said God loved, but because of God's character, His love, He gave. And He gave the most costly gift He could, the most sacrificial, the most extravagant gift was His Son. You know, that's what makes the generosity of God so strange and so hard to understand. It's not just the extent, not just the sacrifice, not just how much He gave. I mean, it's one thing to donate to a friend or to help someone you know in need. It's one thing if, if there's a good cause or something happens locally, you know, there's always a swell of generosity, even those who don't know God's generous nature. But generosity towards enemies, toward those who've wronged you. So that's what it says, while we were enemies, Christ died for us, that God sent his one and only son to those who had sinned against him, who had rejected him, to the people who cried, crucify, God still sent his son. And I could lose 
things in my life, but my son. I can't imagine losing my son. But God, in his generosity, gives the gift of his son to people who don't deserve it, who wouldn't appreciate it, to many who would reject it and ridicule it. And that is God's generosity. I mean, could you imagine giving a sacrificial, expensive gift to somebody who didn't like you, who wouldn't appreciate it, who you knew might discard it and still give it anyway? You know, there's a song, and I guess it's pretty old because it was from when I was a youth minister, and that seems like it's been a little while ago, a couple decades, but this group Sky Park wrote this song, What God Does, and I like what they what they said in their lyrics. He says, waste all the best on the most dishonored guest. When she's unimpressed and see beauty, give till you're gone to the least deserving one and call him your son and see beauty. I think that's a great description of God's generosity, of his grace. And if we truly understand that, if we really believe it, then it can't help but lead us to grow in being generous ourselves. I mean, how can we accept such a gift, such an extravagant, generous gift, and then live with a closed fist, live with our eyes only on the here and now? I mean, here's the thing. We can never outdo God when it comes to generosity. It's impossible. We can never be more generous than God, no matter what kind of sacrifice we could dream of making. It says in Romans 8, for what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man. So it says that the rules are there to, you know, we can try to be like God by following the rules, but inevitably we will all fall short. We will all break God's law. And, and deserve separation from him, deserve punishment. But notice what he said, he sent his son to condemn sin, to take the punishment for sin. But then it says in verse 4, in order that the requirements of the law might fully be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Notice what he said, not only has he just forgiven us and, and removed our sin, but he has given us right standing, given us something we don't deserve, that we've been made right, we've been forgiven, but also made right, as if we have followed the law perfectly. Notice what it says to those who don't live by the sinful nature, that's the closed fist, but live according to the Spirit, that, that it is a generous life. And that's good news. You know, that's why we call it good news. That's why it's the gospel that Jesus came and died for us so we can live a new life, so that we can live according to the Spirit. It can be just like we did everything right, even though we didn't, because He took our punishment. He took the things that we did wrong to the cross. That's God's generosity, sending His Son to do that. But then Jesus, God in the flesh, laid down His life on His own as well. God sent His Son, but the Son went to the cross even though he didn't want to. It says in Matthew 26, before Jesus is arrested, it says, Then he, Jesus, said to them, the disciples, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. 
Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is still possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Can't imagine that moment where he's so overwhelmed that he can't take it anymore. And if you know the account, the disciples are there with him, but in his most difficult moment, they're falling asleep instead of praying with him. And he says, if there's another way, let it happen, but Father, your will, not mine. The Jesus laid down his own life. And Jesus even said, uh, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. See, Jesus said, I I still give it freely. I lay it down. It wasn't taken from him by Pilate. It wasn't, you know, taken from him by the government, which took him to the cross or the people that cried crucify. He laid it down. And when he goes to the cross, that's the thing. His death isn't just a, a quick and painless death. It's a brutal, long, agonizing death. But it shows the sacrifice, the sacrificial generosity that Jesus made for us. I know sometimes if we're involved in something, our human nature, things don't go our way. We have a bad experience. We think, well, I've done enough. I'm out. I've invested enough. Jesus over and over dealt with that and still gave his life. It says in Matthew 20, Jesus called them together and said, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great must become your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. See, he's talking about a life of putting others first, a life of putting more important things ahead of the things that are only important to us. That Jesus said the point of his life was not about him. It was about the kingdom and about others. And our life has to be about the kingdom and others. And if our life is about that, we will be generous. That he gave his life. And if Jesus was a giver, his followers should be givers. He's given to us to serve others. Just as God gave for us. For more information about Pomona Christian Church, please visit us at PomonaChristian.com or find us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Pomona Christian.